Krista Doyle. I'm Samitha Reddy. And this is The Prompt. Um, so yeah, so what is The Prompt? What is this thing we're doing here? Uh, Y'all, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is so much noise about AI right now. Uh, too much noise, some might say. Uh, it feels like there's a constant flood of news and tools and Twitter threads. Uh, it's just a little insane. Um, we've been feeling that really hard here uh, on the Jasper team. And I think we're just really hoping that we can create a safe space, you know, free from Twitter threads and tool roundups and just drown out the noise uh, and learn some stuff together. Uh, so the prompt will be a show dedicated to the most important AI news and trends and information that we think is, you know, must know for, for all of you out there. Um, and we also want to say that we're by no means AI experts. Uh, Samutha and I are marketing nerds and, dare I say, pop culture enthusiasts who just ended up at an AI company, uh, along with our trusty producer here, Alton, uh, our, our content marketing manager here at Jasper. Um, so rest assured that we are in this with you in the trenches, learning day by day as we go. Uh, we just happen to have a cool window of insight here at Jasper that we hope will be useful to you along the way. Um, so with that said, let's do a quick round of intros, get to know everybody, let you get to know uh, myself, Samutha and Alton a little better. Um, so I'm Krista Doyle and I help lead SEO and content marketing here at Jasper. Um, I have been in content and marketing for seven or eight years now, um, mostly SEO. I'm a huge SEO nerd. Um, and yeah, I have a background in TV and film, which which is why I'm a pop culture enthusiast. Uh, I've been podcasting for about 10 years now, so I'm really excited to do this. Um, and yeah, Samitha, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Krista. I'm stoked to, that this podcast uh, got off the ground and to participate. Um, I come from a background in B2B marketing and sort of fell into generative AI at Jasper about a year ago when Honestly, it was the least sexy thing to describe to my friends when they'd asked me what my new job was all about. Um, six months later, ChatGPT came out and all of a sudden generative AI is mainstream. And sort of what I've been feeling, I lead enterprise marketing at Jasper. So a team of folks, um, including product marketing, customer marketing, demand gen, um, email automation. We've all sort of been feeling like, wait, we thought we got in early at Jasper. We thought we... We're supposed to have this like very early access into generative AI, but what I've been feeling and what the rest of my team's been feeling is super overwhelmed. There's things happening constantly every week. Um, and so we thought another AI podcast to, but this could be a way to, to kind of help have an IRL therapy session to talk through what's happening in the industry, how it's affecting marketers and how it can affect things like career paths and our personal lives. Alton. Give, give the people a little bit about you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I am the content marketing manager here. Um, work closely alongside both of my awesome co-hosts here. And I've been at Jasper for just under a year or so. Um, I've got a background that crosses between copywriting, traditional journalism, brand marketing, and traditional marketing. So I've done a lot of writing across all of those different sectors for almost a decade now. Um, 
got introduced to Jasper through our VP of marketing, uh, Megan Anderson, who is an absolute titan in the marketing world and did not know about generative AI prior to November of last year, um, much like a lot of people before ChatGPT came out. And so since then, I've been really immersing myself in the industry, trying to write about trends and um, just cool use cases, um, highlight a lot of interesting thought leaders since joining Jasper, which is where I am today as far as like helping out with the podcast and um, trying to wrangle the the most interesting uh, topics, trends, things like that for for the show here. It's funny you say that, Alton, because I feel like people always ask me, and I wonder if they ask you to, too, like, how'd you get in early at generative AI? Like, how'd you know this was going to be the next big thing? Um, like, give us your insight. And I'm like, are you kidding? Shane, our president, I worked with him at our former company, and he had trying to get me to come over to Jasper. And I remember my first reaction was like, I don't want to work for your writing assistant startup. Like, what's happening here? Like, I, I really, I, I didn't fully understand the gravity of the situation. So it cracks me up that um, sort of you didn't even know what generative AI was as a writer going into this space. Um, and it's just like funny how that, how those career paths kind of materialized. Krista, I'm curious, how did you, did you know about generative AI? Was Jasper on your hit list? How did you end up here? So, so it's funny. So I had been testing AI tools and stuff. Um, so I knew what Jasper was. I like knew what generative AI was, uh, obviously enough to apply for a job here, but I also did not understand the gravity of what was happening. In my head, I came from um, I came from Twitter, so another big brand, and I remember leaving and kind of thinking, I just want to be somewhere that's like a little more drama free. And I know AI is going to be a thing in like five years, but I could really use just like a quiet transition into a smaller company. And then <laughs> two months after I started, AI completely blew up. Um, and now like Jasper's, you know, the name is everywhere and everybody's talking about AI. Um, so yeah, it's, I also did not quite understand the gravity of, of what was happening or like how soon it would all happen. Um, I very much believed it was coming, but yeah, I grossly underestimated the power of what was what was happening. Yeah, it's so I can funny. Imagine. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel like at every family gathering I go to, they're like, "Oh, you work in AI," and that's it. Like they're like, "Oh, AI is the future." Period. But I'm like, "Wait, you've been yep. saying that for five to seven years. <laughs> Generative AI has just become mainstream." So um, those yeah. two those two letters really have a long history. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, seriously. and I feel like. There, there are a lot of people who could have predicted this, but also a lot like the majority of the people who are aware of AI now to a certain degree are people that were kind of like us that were just kind of like stumbled into it or just like let chat GPT be their introduction to it. And um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to follow follow that through line. Everybody has a different kind of introduction introduction to it. But now here we are where there's so much news in this space every single day where like the thing that you're talking about one week is old hat the next week. So it's um it's exciting to be able to have a platform like this where we can kind of sift through the noise and sort of wrangle like the most important um, insights. Yeah. Agreed. I'm also um, pretty curious how much how many times we're going to be wrong about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I always make predictions or guesses about what's coming down the pipe and you know sometimes I'm right I don't know it's a toss-up but I'm 
I want to see like a uh, a super cut at the end of this about all the times we were absolutely wrong about stuff. That's yeah. so true. And I feel like you'll probably hear me develop a lot of my opinions live on the show as we talk about topics and my stream of conscious comes up and I'm like, oh, I actually do have an opinion on that or I have no idea where to start on that. I feel like sometimes working in generative AI, people expect you to sort of have these like big solid thought out ideas on like, what does regulation look like? What is the future of search? And like having these really baked out ideas. And it was, um, you know, Jasper had our Gen AI annual conference in February of this year. He did a lot of work with our keynote speaker, uh, folks like Kevin Roos, um, New York Times reporter, Matt Friedman, sort of this like prolific um, venture capitalist and investor that was a CEO of like many, many successful companies. Um, and it was great working with them you know, like they had a point of view, they had a ton of insight and experience and, and and sort of like past histories that helped inform it. But I didn't feel like anybody got up on that stage and said, this is what's going to happen with search, or this is how regulations will pan out. And I think this is why this time is so interesting. People always allude to, you know, this is like the, the dot-com era where everybody that's impactful is in one room together having dinner and like, you know, talking about the future of this technology. And I, I can't quite relate to exactly maybe what that felt like. I definitely was not in that room, but um, it, it adds a little bit of excitement, I will say. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, with that, um, why don't we dive into the excitement around Google's big IO keynote, which dropped a lot of um, really, really exciting, interesting maybe scary depending on who you are and where where you where your intersection of business is and, and AI um news. Um that's kind of gonna be the the general through line for this particular episode. Um really anytime Google makes a move it's worth paying attention to, but they're making a lot of really interesting moves in the AI space. So we're gonna be diving into two specific um, pieces of content. One is a, a roundup of like the most exciting AI news from that keynote, just the general bullet points of um, the, the major releases that, that came out of that event. And then an interview um, that the editor of The Verge did with Google CEO Sundar Pichai um, to kind of touch base on some of the major releases of the event. And then also talk about sort of his perspective on the state of, of generative AI um, and just get more perspective on how he feels about certain elements of it when it comes to regulation, different things like that. So we can get started more or less with like the, the big elephant in the room, Google search, something that generally everybody uses a few times a day for the most part. Um, there have definitely been that that event highlighted a lot of a lot of change that's coming to Google search. So it's going to be more more fluid, more um, conversational. Even you'll be able to ask it a question like find me a good bike for commutes um, that involve hills, a good five a good bike for a five mile commute with Hills, which is the exact um, example that was given during the keynote. And what was shown was a, a, a sort of a, a conversational response to that. And that brought up different products, essentially the same in a similar way that looked like a Google product page, a Google shopping page, but also 
had links to sources that showed like what you need to be aware of when even buying a bike like that. Um, so it was much more intuitive and yeah, I would love to get, um, your perspective on not only that iteration of Google search, but just in general, like what these changes, these AI driven changes to Google search, um, mean basically. Yeah. So heavy question. I was going to say, I, this is, uh, the only thing I've been thinking about for months. So I could, I can kick us off a little bit about, I guess, like what it means for me. I mean, this was every SEO on earth probably was tuned into this um, because this is going to dictate how we do our job now, which is so wild to think that we're like a part of something like this. Um, And, you know, I think that, a really popular narrative over the past several months has been that this is going to kill SEO or that, you know, websites aren't going to get traffic. Um, a lot of people were scared after the first kind of iteration of this was previewed back in February, I think, because at that point they did not include those citations or those or those sources to where you could dig in deeper and go down a rabbit hole in other sites. Um, And so I think there was a lot of nervousness from SEOs and content marketers who were kind of like, why should we create content now if, if, you know, if everything's going to be answered with BARD and we're not going to get any traffic sent our way. Um, But I think that this announcement and all the the features that they previewed a little bit eased some of those fears because now, you know, it was clear that they are including some... um, some site links and sources for you to go kind of dig further for more information, um, which will help a little bit. But I, I do think there will be some um, some negatives to this uh, in the sense that um, website links will just now be pushed a lot further down the page. There will be a few up top in the chat in the chat, but uh, for the most part, your click through rates are probably going to go down, um, and that's like with everything else in SEO, it's like another change that we're just going to have to adapt to and figure out. So I think it will have impact, but it's not the end of the world. Um, So I feel very excited and intrigued, I think, by the the challenge that that lies ahead. Yeah, I listened to that Google I.O. keynote and um, Sundar Pichai's podcast more of a consumer than I did like a technical marketer figuring out how I'm going to um, adjust my strategy, which don't tell my boss that I just said that. Um, but as I was listening to it as a consumer, a couple things stood out to me. So first, his so first, what came to mind is like, was this Google's big comeback after Bardgate that happened uh, a couple of months ago? And it really felt like it was. It felt like an overwhelmingly like positive response to Google taking um, generative AI and applying it boldly, but responsibly. I think I heard that quite a few times. Um, Second, something that came to mind as a consumer is um, Sundar's emphasis on as generative AI becomes multimodal, being able to search something and in that index come up with things like videos or images alongside search links and a conversational response. To me as a consumer, like chef's kiss. That is exactly what I want. I want to go in and be able to ask search, get a conversational response back, and also have uh, reviews from TikTok populate. And the top community posts from Reddit come in, you know, as even 
from like a buying behavior perspective, if I go to, I'm not going to Google search to figure out if I should buy something or not. I'm going to Reddit. I'm going to TikTok. I'm going to Substack and finding someone's nitty gritty uh, in the depths of their mind and what they think about that product. So for me, that's really what stood out is like, how do how does consumer marketing all of a sudden completely change? And I think a couple months ago, we, um, not a couple months ago, but maybe even like the last year, we kept we kept hearing like the influencer is dead. Like the creator economy is going away and people need to reinvent themselves. And I don't know, to me, my big takeaway was like, wait, that's becoming more important than ever it's for all kinds of brands to index highly um, on those sorts of platforms, B2C, but also like enterprise B2B brands. Yeah, it makes me really excited. Like I was pretty blown away by uh, the Google Perspectives, uh, the new Google Perspectives tab, which is where all that kind of stuff will be surfaced. Um, and I think definitely as a consumer, that's amazing. And even though it means I have to learn how to use TikTok now, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, that's what people want. People trust people. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like people trust people way more than they trust brands sometimes. And so um, I think it makes total sense that it's headed that direction. And you can even, even before like, the big event last week, you could have even seen Google start to go that way. Because as I was doing, you know, research on certain keywords, you would see that stuff pop up already as like links, not necessarily as, you know, dynamic tabs or anything. But, um, but they were already starting to include LinkedIn articles, uh, TikTok videos, Reddit threads. Um, so it definitely shows that they've kind of been thinking that way for, for a minute. And, and I'm very curious if that was like, in preparation to, to train the algorithm to, to now surface this kind of stuff. Um, I think it, that's probably what was happening. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I think that as a consumer, it's going to be amazing to be able to go in and what was the search you said, Alton? Like, what's a good five mile commute with hills for a bike or something? Like, that's so specific. Um, so I think it's pretty incredible that search is now going to be able to get that granular and personal. Um, even though that's going to make my job harder because, <laughs> uh, there's not necessarily tons of keyword volume for what's the best bike commute for five miles that has hills. Uh, I can't imagine a ton of people are searching that, but I don't know. I feel like energized by it. I don't feel scared. I think that, um, as a consumer, it's going to be, make it way more fun and valuable. And then as like a marketer, it's just going to, you know, force me to be more creative and to figure out like, what are all these avenues that I get to play in now that I didn't get to before? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was, I was really excited by, by all the announcements. Yeah, me too. Especially as someone who has Google product searches for things like vintage Japanese baseball jerseys, like <laughs> I am really excited for those niche searches to get way more granular for me to like explore different um, links a lot more. But it does have me thinking too about how the links that it surfaces in its like conversational responses get ranked. Like how does it choose over time which TikTok videos to surface for its, um, its those answering those nuanced responses? How does it choose the basically all the links and like sources that it surfaces in those in those outputs? Um, so I think I think overall, like six months to a year from now, 
and we're already kind of talking about this um internally like just among us us three but then also like in different areas like the need for quality over quantity i think the 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 need for people to have like that sources that are valid surface in those responses is going to be paramount so you're not just getting more spammy content more like just unnecessary filler when you're when you're trying to get answers to these nuanced responses so it'll be interesting like the kind of the 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 what what the underlying foundations of how you get like a link ranked higher on google search will be like what what that looks like so i'm I'm excited to see what what that's going to be like in the next in the next few months or so do y'all have any hot takes or guesses as to how google's gonna gonna do those rankings for the for the source site links that they include i don't know this like it's kind of out of my realm of expertise because i'm not quite like a an seo expert i mean they might evolve what's already there they might throw out half of what is there and kind of reinvent the wheel to a certain degree because like they are they kind of invented the wheel to a certain degree when it came to like internet search in general and how we're all used to using it and the like the top 10 links that pop up in general so i think they have a lot of control they can kind of do what they want but at the same time so much of their money is based off of advertising that they can't really mess with that too much so I, I don't really have a lot of um, opinions on what it's going to look like. I just hope I can still get my Japanese baseball jerseys the same way. I hope that for you too. So hard. I was about to say, Christy, I think I would trust your hot takes over anyone else's on how SEO is going to change. Any from you? I mean, like as far as how they're going to surface those links, I feel like your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I think there's a couple like logical possibilities, which is it might literally be that they surface the top three to five ones that are already ranking, um, which is pretty straightforward. Or um, I know that they're going to actually be changing, they're going to be updating the algorithm fairly soon to focus a lot more on content that really is anchored in expertise. So they're going to probably be... um, ranking content where it's clear that the person who created it actually has experience on the topic, using the product, whatever it is. Um, So I do think that there probably will be some pretty major algorithmic changes to like help discern like what is actually the most helpful content from the most helpful person on this given topic. Um, So I think, yeah, I think that will have a lot to do with it. Well, that feels like a good North Star and something that's coming to mind again from a from a consumer's perspective. It feels like that's the only lens I have on today is uh, whenever I ask Siri or my Amazon Home or my Google Home something that, you know, doesn't have a great response or isn't something pre-scripted built into the program. It's sort of like go to your iPhone and, and look at the search results I gave you, right, for more information. So I think I'm really looking forward to like the voice modality being introduced into this like whole search experience for me where I'm now able to speak out loud and have a conversation with a true digital assistant that's able to conversationally reply back to me, but also have some of that like search history built in, indexing some of those user reviews. I'm really curious as to how that experience will 
evolve. And um, it's funny, Krista, something you said earlier really resonated with me when talking about, um, you know, how search will evolve to include like user experiences. And you said, you know, people don't trust companies, people trust people. And in watching, you know, Sam Altman uh, and a couple of other folks be at the at the hearing um, around AI with Congress this past week, you know, a huge thing that came out was will people over rely on AI and not do some of their own homework. And so all of a sudden it becomes, hey, I'm, you know, this interface gets so good that I'm all of a sudden relying on AI to give me medical advice. I'm actually not chasing down to say, hey, are there hallucinations involved? You know, what sort of advice is it giving me? Um, and, and another uh, topic that I saw come out is, you know, folks all of a sudden starting to have relationships with AI and really feel like, you know, that's sort of their go-to as opposed to going out to other humans. So I just think it's a funny, um, like the dichotomy is funny between like people trusting people and now like the fear around the over-reliance on AI. Yeah. And I think that's a very real like worry for us to have because I mean, even me, when I Google something, like when something pops up in the little box at the top, okay, that's my answer. I don't then go, I usually don't go click in try to see what sources they've used and do my own digging. Like if I'm Googling how many calories is in a Big Mac, which is something I've Googled many times, I trust whatever pops up, up at the top, you know? Um, so I can only imagine people who are searching for actual medical advice or like really important, really important things that you don't want to get wrong or have hallucinations with. Um, I don't think it's our natural way of being to to go dig deeper. I don't think that's like people's natural tendency. So I think it's that's like a real a real worry um and a real reason why the hallucinations thing. I think um I think we're that's there's progress being made on the hallucinations front, but but yeah, I can see why that's a worry. Yeah, definitely. The need for like validity in these sources is going to be huge when it comes to this because yeah i mean i do the same thing whenever i'm just asking a general question and that box pops up at the top i'm like all right i trust this answer i'll maybe like scan the url and see like okay is this like a dot gov website is this like does this does this url seem legit all right good enough for me so i feel like when it like google is really going to need to do a good job of making sure that the sources that they pull up are actually trusted legit um, like written by or created by experts who actually know what they're talking about and maybe not doing, make, making content just for the sake of doing it. Um, and that, that is a good segue actually into another major, major point from the keynote, which was Google acting like bold and responsibly. And um, it's actually kind of surprising that they didn't touch on everything we've just been talking about, about how they're going to continue searching, like pulling in, really high ranking things into their search results, but they did touch on um, things like image generation. Um, so now that they, they announced a new model called Gemini, which is going to be multimodal um, and it's going to have the capabilities of actually creating images. But part of that will be whenever an AI image is made via Google, it's going to be watermarked and it's going to have metadata to say that it is, it, this image is actually made by AI. Um, they'll also introduce capabilities to where other creators that are making AI images can 
say as much in their own metadata. And then that's going to show up in images that populate from third party sources into Google itself, into Google search. Um, and I thought that was that was super interesting. I think that that is another thing that is like on the tip of a lot of people's tongues in the AI space overall is just the idea of deep fake images and deep fake videos, which is another thing that Google touched on. Um, they showed a demonstration of a woman having her speech translated into a different language, um, but said that that also introduces the potential for a lot of deep fake videos. So they're limiting that technology to certain partners, basically. They're just going to gatekeep who can use it and who can't to keep deep fakes um, at bay, basically. But I really appreciated those steps that they're taking and publicizing that as well, kind of encouraging other people, other AI producers to do the same. I think that's really important um, because it's deep fakes are just something that terrifies me from on a personal level. Um, but yeah, what what are, what were your um, perspectives on on some of those efforts to not only like like what they're actually introducing, but sort of the validity of them, whether or not you think they might be effective, and the implications for um, that type of work in general. Oh man, that's like a big one. I'm like, I don't even know who's going to start on that one. Um, Again, this like, I know we're talking about Google, but this keeps making me go back to me listening in on the hearing and hearing all the questions that Congress was asking um, folks that were invited to that, including Sam Altman around, um, you know, what sort of risks do AI models pose and how do we get in front of them? And Alton, it makes me think like, um, you know, I love that Google's doing all of those things. Uh, it does feel like a big case of self-regulation where it's sort of like private companies being expected to regulate themselves, even if it's at the um, expense of um, like, even if it's at the expense of them making more money. Um, and it just feels like, I don't know how that's going to shake out. I also don't know how it'll shake out if, the government now steps in and has an agency that regulates all those things because our history has shown us that I, I forget what the quote is, but it's like for every five U.S. agencies um, that failed, only one was successful. So it's it's like a tough statistic to put against, specifically with something as like niche and almost esoteric as as uh, generative AI, right? Like it's a very small amount of scientists that truly know how these models work and how to capitalize them on them and create more. So to answer your question, like I'm on board, like all of those things sound great in theory. Um, but I almost think we could, even with these keynotes, like fall into that, like greenwashing phenomenon where we're able to use all this colorful language to talk about all the things we're doing in terms of like being safe, but like, there's no like accountability or follow through or disciplinary, disciplinary action that happens when, maybe models don't follow through. Um, And then the last thing I want to say is like, it's great for Google to be able to say all of these things, right? They have the resources to deal with um, incredibly, incredibly responsible AI and they can move. They don't necessarily always have to sacrifice speed to incorporate responsible AI, but some of these other smaller startups that are doing really impressive things, like we might be crushing innovation there. And so I'm curious what the balance is, obviously without compromising responsible AI, but just like encouraging more players than, than just the open AI and the Googles. I'm, I'm curious how that'll play out. That's on my mind a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Um, Cause I'm, I'm glad that Google is like 
modeling this as a as a priority. Um, but I think that, man, we're going to have to do something really fast when it comes to like the next version of that, which is like copywriting certain things. I mean, you're seeing it with AI music, um, you know, AI Drake, AI Jay-Z, they're all popping up um, and they sound very similar to the artists. And I'm sure that's not, um, I don't know, it's like messing with their money, right? Their art. And I think that we're seeing it too with things like the WGA writer strike happening right now in Hollywood. Um, all those writers are now scared that ChatGPT is going to take their job uh, because studio heads are, you know, trying to save a buck and they don't really understand how the tech works or its shortcomings. Um, and they think that, you know, ChatGPT can churn out the next season of succession. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that there's going to be, I would like to see this happen swiftly across many areas um, with watermarking or, or copyright or um, just putting some kind of guardrails around it because it's, I think it's going to get messy fast. Um, I don't know what the answer is to, to, to any of that, obviously. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm at least glad that a company like Google, who is like spearheading a lot of this in a lot of ways, are at least modeling that we do need to be responsible. One thing that um, I forget who exactly mentioned it um, in the, in the Google keynote, but it was mentioned that, and there was like a, a a few articles that came out about this, but Google's partnership with Apple around like tracking devices, air tags and things like that. And the need to keep them from like being put on people who don't want to be put, who don't want to be tracked basically, because that is definitely happening. And that in and of itself is scary, but it's, it's cool. It was cool to see like the, a partnership between two major household names in tech. And I think as I've been trying to think about like the best way to approach fighting deep fakes and just something like this overall. And I think it's going to take more partnerships like that. I think it's going to take like Microsoft and Google and um, I don't know, like stable diffusion or if that, yeah. Um, just a lot of different companies in this AI space coming together without necessarily the need for like strict regulatory oversight like it, there there can be some of that included but i would love to see basically just like a justice league of like ai producers coming together and saying like all right this is kind of the guidelines of like how these things should operate what they should do to a certain degree while and still opening the door to a lot of innovation but guard railing that innovation as well and or like the use cases and and things like that just so deep fakes and misinformation can be curbed so that hallucinations can be curbed as much as possible so that there's more like collective brain power by the biggest producers in this space and small producers too, just getting everybody like roped into the same idea of trying to make these tools as responsible and least harmful as possible, kind of like the United Nations in a way. And there are arguments for how effective the United Nations has been. But I mean, there are a lot of instances where like that particular organization has done a lot of like good things based on the the organization, the, the countries that are in it. So doing something like that within the AI space, I think could could work, especially if it is backed by actual regulatory oversight to a certain degree, like having punishments to a certain degree for like 
companies that don't follow these guardrails and make it easier for misinformation to be produced. But that's just like a loose theory that I've been kind of toying around with in my head. And I, a big part of that is companies being playing nice with each other, basically, you know, competitors coming together and sitting at the same table and saying like, all right, we're going to work together on this solution. And that is much easier said than done for sure. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense though. I mean, and it would be great, Alton, if you could uh, put that together before the next presidential election next year, please. <laughs> I know that that analogy really resonates with me, like the United Nation analogy. I, I honestly wasn't thinking about it like that. Um, and, you know, the, the other big things that came out of the hearing were one, like how close we are to general artificial intelligence. That's one I'm not even going to touch because there's so much nuance. Um but the third kind of big pillar there was around like job loss, um, specifically in a time where people are super concerned about the economy and the layoffs. I mean, I know we feel it in tech. We see it all around us. It's our friends, our ex-coworkers. It's a lot of the folks that we surround ourselves with. We, we see and feel the pain pretty viscerally. And so the idea that AI is bringing another reckoning in that area is something that everyone's worried about. Um, so it's interesting to sort of hear um Congress talk through that. And, you know, my take on it, I think was like, I appreciated the large acknowledgement that that will probably happen, like that there will probably be a pretty large shift. In, sorry, in job creation. Um, and it, like in traditional sectors. So I'm curious what your guys' perspective is, right? So Jasper is a content platform powered by generative AI, really meant to accelerate content production in all parts of your marketing team, your sales team, your go-to-market teams. And you two sort of make up Jasper's content team. Like, what's your what's your thought on AI coming for your job specifically and more so working for the platform that will most likely make that a reality? I think that is like some sort of some sort of masochism that I really want to get into with the two of you. Yeah, it's really weird, right? Doing like content and SEO with AI at an AI company that is making a product for people to do content and SEO with AI. Like it's very, it's all very meta. Um, I, I mean, I feel like with the inside knowledge of Jasper that I have and with how I use it in my day to day, at least, um, I don't. At this, at this point in time, I don't worry about it coming for my job. It makes my job a lot easier. It makes my job a lot more fun. Um, I really hate writing. I hate getting to like a first draft of, of an article or something. And so like, it's great for, for, for me, you know, it makes my job way more enjoyable. Um, I don't, there's, there's no, I, I would never like set it and forget it, hit publish on the first thing that pops out. So, so yeah, I don't think that really good writers who produce quality work have anything to worry about. I mean, Alton, how do you feel? I know that like I do mostly SEO, but like writing is your whole gig. How do you, how do you feel about that? I don't see a future where like my role or the role of any traditional journalist is threatened in any like big existential way by AI. I think it will definitely help. I think for me, like the tool helps a lot when it comes to building out articles and stuff. But because my role is like a journalism hybrid sort of role, 
I have to use a lot of like timely insights and I have to do digging, like dig through things that have just happened. And these tools aren't capable of doing things like that. They're not capable of writing a story about something that happened last week or even like last year to a certain degree. That's going to get better. But even still, it's not going to have like the contextual insight to be able to like make a good make make the story engaging for a human reader or put like a, a human perspective on a, a piece of news, basically. Um, it might be able to just regurgitate the facts of what happened. OK, fine. But you still need a talented writer to be able to like polish that and make it engaging for the audience of that particular publication. Um, the other side of that is like evergreen content, content that is just supposed to live on forever, so to speak. Um, it's not bound by any like sorts of any, any, any time, basically. Um, AI can, AI is already okay at writing that, those types of stories. But one example I think of in these types of instances is, is the example of CNET. A few months ago, CNET like went about incorporating AI content in its sort of in all of its publications. Um, well, no, in all of its, its its articles to a certain degree, and it didn't really tell its existing writing staff. It kind of alluded to it to a certain degree to its audience, and it was a disaster. Like the there were so many factual inaccuracies in the stories that the AI wrote. It had one central editor for the most part, but even still, there was a lot that slipped through the cracks because one editor reading through dozens of AI generated articles and like checking every single statistic that was in there and every single insight is a difficult, difficult job. And yeah, the results were CNET, like it, it, it was embarrassing the level of like, errors that came out of such a well-respected publication basically because they relied on AI too much. So I think AI will be a tool that good writers can use to make their jobs easier, make their jobs better, um, help them write for sure. But I don't think that it could at any point fully replace like an entire team of writers. Maybe some of them will like some of the less experienced ones might get let go, which is unfortunate, but I think it's going to force people to, um, I don't know, like hone their craft even more. I think it's going to help even entry-level writers like become better writers because they might lean on AI for certain elements, but then they can use AI to like hone those skills even more to where they don't need the AI anymore at a certain point. Um, so I I don't I think companies will try to use it as a way to get rid of some staff and like cut their costs and I think they're going to pay for it. I think in the long run like the quality of their content is going to diminish because of that and then they're going to end up having to hire more people as a result. So I, there will be I think a pendulum swing that comes but I think the companies that really lean wholesale into AI replacing not only writers but like even like accountants or maybe some of their customer service team members, you know, to handle some of tasks like that. Like if they just get rid of all those people completely, it's going to, they're going to be consequences because AI is not the best at handling everything the way that people think it is right now. What's standing out to 
me when the two of you are like talking through kind of your roles is you using AI to elevate yourselves, right? And so maybe the job transfer that we're going to see are content folks that don't want to use AI, that refuse to adopt AI, right? That sort of want to live in the way the old world once was without gender AI being a part of it. And it also sort of feels like there's this like, you know, self-regulating ecosystem that comes about, like, um, you know, even thinking of um, folks that used to run like SEO content farms, like just churning out a bunch of really trash content, loading it with keywords, getting themselves to rank highly and making a ton of money off that. And with Google's helpful update, like that suddenly got us, it's got so much harder. And it seems like with the CNET example, Alton, it's like some of the same things, right? Like taking these like really brutal shortcuts and figuring out, hey, how do I cheat the system? It sort of feels like we do have a pretty good self-regulating ecosystem here. So I could see a world in which, um, you know, there is job transfer and there is a period of, okay, how do I acclimate to this? How does the role of marketing shift to include AI? But marketers don't go away. Writers don't go away. Journalists don't go away. It's just that the journalists that use AI to become better journalists rise to the top uh, and it sort of self-regulates itself that way. So that's what's sort of coming to mind in like the white collar, you know, technology sphere that I sort of live in. And I know that could be different in different industries. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that like perfectly sums that up is, uh, again, with the WJ writer strike, they all have their picket signs with their little sayings. And, and my favorite one that I've seen so far just says chat GPT doesn't have childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just think that perfectly sums it up because it's like AI doesn't have the like nuance of the human experience and it doesn't have like our emotions and our memories to pull from. Um, and I don't know, like, I just think that we are going to continue to be the secret sauce that powers AI, um, which will only help us all in the long run. So. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I think that is a, a great segue to wrap it up on. Um, I don't know. Yeah. How do y'all feel? Is there any, any other final notes that you wanted to, to comment on? No, just that as we're getting started with this podcast, let us know what you want to hear more about. I think hot topics that I get DM'd with all the time is building a career path within AI, um, figuring out how to wade through all of the noise and sort of aspire to work for a company that feels like will will last through all of the, the hype cycle that's happening right now. And so that's another one we can touch on. And um, we can also talk about how we incorporate AI into our own marketing teams, but let us know what's happening. Yeah. 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 I think we're all on LinkedIn, Twitter. So feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Yes, most definitely. Very excited to continue these awesome conversations. Um, thank you both for sh sharing your perspective. And um, yeah, much, much more to come. Future episodes. Thanks, guys. Awesome. See you next time.